Australia overnight, every Tuesday morning and Thursday morning, we catch up with our very own Ender Brady uh, in that part of the world. Good morning, my friend. Hey, Tony. Yeah, how are you? Uh, well, a little de- a little um, uh, devastated, really. Uh, Steve Wright, the legendary broadcaster, uh, Radio 2 in particular, did a lot of work at Radio 1 uh, and a bit of a personal hero. And I tried to ask the audience how many people were familiar Uh, growing up in that part of the work with Steve Wright. But what a broadcaster and much loved in the UK. Tony, I'm beyond shocked. I just could not believe the news when I was driving home. It led all the news bulletins, TV, radio, all the obituaries in the papers today. Steve Wright had been a broadcasting legend. I mean, 40 years on the BBC. And as you say, starting out with BBC Radio 1, then moving on to Radio 2. He also hosted Top of the Pops on TV. And I didn't know him personally, but everyone that I know who did work with him say that he was just the ultra-professional radio presenter. You know well enough, Tony, there are people who are show-and-go merchants, we call them, turn up, do the show, and they're out the door. And, you know, not team players and don't spend a lot of time with the production team. Steve Wright was in hours, three, four hours before his show, working on stuff, finessing what he was going to say, the interview questions brilliant broadcaster and he has died suddenly at the age of 69 and i mean it was such a shock to his friends paul gambaccini who's an american broadcaster here on radio too again a a veteran music dj gambaccini said on air uh, that he'd emailed him twice yesterday and he thought it was unusual he didn't get a response because they were planning a party for the mbe that steve wright got in the king's new year's honors list and he sent two emails and thought i must be busy and now we know he'd passed on. I mean, and to my knowledge, nobody knew that he had any illness whatsoever. This is a complete shock. It is a complete shock. He hosted, I think he, he'd been doing for a long time, Steve, right in the afternoon on Radio 2. Uh, and yeah. then I think uh, maybe 12 months ago, uh, he was removed out of that. And he was just doing this great program on a Sunday, Steve Wright's Love Songs, which was compulsory viewing from right across the United States. I mean, it had an amazing uh, audience. It would have been sometimes anywhere between 8 and 14 million people uh, listening on a Sunday morning to his program. Uh, that's how much power and might he had. Uh, but he put it all together with a team of people. But on this particular weekend, it was uh, pre-recorded. And so he that went to air, and then that's the last of which we'll ever hear of uh, the great Steve Wright. Yeah, it turns out there's been his last show. So you're right, yeah. Love Songs on Sunday. It was a Valentine's special. It was pre-recorded. Now, look, that could have been because he might have been travelling this week or had plans, other plans. We simply will never know. Um, but he leaves behind a family and uh, an audience that really... You know, I, I don't know where we will find a talent like him again because he was just a complete one-off. He had a, a, you know his voice, Tony. He had a lovely, warm, friendly, welcoming way about him. And, you know, the thing about the radio, the wireless, you know, we've spent our lives in it. Yeah. You know, the people we listen to, they become almost like a trusted friend, a part of the family, whether you're, you know, in, doing some gardening. You might be out running. You could be going walking the dog or you could be just kind of chilling out at home of an afternoon over a glass of wine. And that voice on the radio comes on. It's so reassuring, as, as you are to your listeners all over Australia, Tony. You know, you become part of people's routine. And for tens of millions of people across the UK, 
Steve Wright was just part of daily life. And it's one of those things too, and where uh, people get to know the voice uh, and then they have the disappointment of when they meet you and will often say, <laughs> they'll often say, gee, you don't, you don't look anything like you sound. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> well, that's in your head, which you and I have uh, laughed about in the past and it happens so regularly, it's funny. Uh, I will it miss funny. him. It's funny, you know, I'm reminded first time I come to Australia and you looked after me so well, so well. And I had a lady say to me, a little old Australian lady in Perth, and she said to me she thought I was, I'd be much smaller. And I think in her head, she had this picture of this little diddy Irish kind of jockey man. Um, you know, and I'm six foot three. That's <laughs> so, right. You know, people do get a, a perception in their heads of what they think yeah, you look they, like. Yeah, they do. Little leprechaun, Ender Brady. Uh, the king <laughs> has returned to London. Yes, he has. So there's a couple of royal twists today. So Charles has been spotted going into Clarence House. Now, that is the property basically as Prince of Wales where he lived because he's not a big fan of Buckingham Palace. And, it, you know, Buckingham Palace is big. It's drafty. It's not massively well-maintained. Well I mean, everyone thinks it's glitz and glamour. Yeah, where they bring in all the dignitaries, that's very posh. Um, but it's not really somewhere you'd want to live. So Charles has his own residence, Clarence House. He's been spotted going in there and just joining up the dots. I think the plan is for him to come to London and have treatment and then go back to Sandringham by helicopter, which is the rural estate where they spend Christmas over in Suffolk in the east of England and recuperate. So that seems to be the plan. However, the Harry story has reared its head again um, because a lot of people are criticising the fact that the Sussexes have relaunched their website this week. And people are saying, hang on, there's a time and a place for monetizing your royal connections. They're not senior members of the royal family. They're not working members of the royal family anymore. And yet they do seem to be monetizing it. Well, we've all got to make a quid, and uh, how much do you need, Tony? That's well, what I would say. Yeah. How much do you, his mother left him twenty million dollars? Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, you can survive on twenty. Uh, the importantly, I don't want to make light of this. Uh, the violence against shopkeepers in the UK. Uh, why are we seeing this rise? So initially, people were saying, "Look, cost of living and everything's so expensive, and families are being squeezed." And the police have come out, various different crime experts, and they're saying this is nothing to do with families being squeezed or, you know, hard-pressed people having to go in and shoplift food in modern-day Britain. This is organized criminal groups who are getting quite organized gangs of young people predominantly to hit supermarkets, knowing full well that, you know, the staff have been told, don't use violence, don't fight back, just let them take whatever. And the footage is shocking. I mean, you're seeing... This is on a daily occurrence now. So they reckon they're, they're dealing with 45,000 incidents, 45,000 incidents of shoplifting across the UK every single day. And 1,300 of them involve violence against the store staff. Now, you know, when I was a kid in Ireland, I think I was 16, I worked in the local supermarket. You're on minimum wage. You're not earning very much. And you're working bloody hard, long hours. And part of, uh, I thankfully, was never abused in my little town in Ireland. But I think nowadays, big cities in the UK, you're getting these big barley blokes mm. coming in. They're targeting steak, any, any high value items like big chunks of meat, uh, foreign cheese. It's quite expensive. They'll take blocks of that. The razor blades, I think, 
while they're desperate to get their hands on them because they're so expensive and they're quite small, you can take a lot of them, the stores have kind of sussed this out now. So you'll notice if you go looking for razor blades, there'll be a little car coupon of paper or something and you bring it to the checkout and then they'll bring you the razor blades. And they're also after high value big bottles of alcohol. So this is on a really organized scale. And sadly, I think the police are so stretched a lot of the time, they don't even respond because if a call comes in to the emergency number, oh, we've just had some shoplifters in, but by the time the cops get there, they're gone. gone. Uh, Tell us about this four-year-old in Wales. Uh, $20,000 donation has been made by some really interesting Hollywood A-listers. Yeah, so this is a lovely story. Anyone who's been following the streaming services will be familiar with a TV show called Welcome to Wrexham. Now, Wrexham is, and with, with the greatest great respect series, to it, great series. Yeah, it's a, a struggling little town for years until along comes a couple of guys from Hollywood, the Deadpool actor Ryan Reynolds and his mate Ryan McElhenney, and they bought the local soccer club, and they've they've basically kept winning. They've they've pumped in a lot of cash. Wrexham is now getting unbelievable global publicity. And the series, you're right, it is brilliant. It's very good fun. And, you know, they're, they're winning matches and win, lose, or draw. There's always a bit of twist and a drama. Well, there's a little four-year-old boy in Wrexham, and he's a huge footy fan. And God help him, he's, he's got cerebral palsy, epilepsy, a few other mobility issues. And his family, Louis Perrin is his name. And his mum and dad decided that they needed to basically adapt the house to make his life a little bit more bearable, and he loves soccer. He loves watching Wrexham on the telly. They've taken him to matches. So the family set up like a little fundraising page just to see if they could get a bit of help from the community, thinking, you know, just their friends and maybe, you know, some good-willed neighbours would chip in a few dollars. Bottom line is, the other day, uh, the little boy was with his carer, and she went on to the fundraising page just out of curiosity to see how it was doing, there was a $20,000 donation on there from Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney, the two guys who started to change things for the town and the footy club. And I'm sure 20000 to two Hollywood guys is probably not very much money to them. They've changed this little guy's life. The family can now adapt the downstairs of the property and make it more livable for him. And I tears in my eyes reading. I just thought, what a lovely thing to do. And hopefully Deadpool man will go and meet this little fella or he better still take him to a game as his VIP guest. Yeah, mate. Uh, wonderful story. Thank you. Uh, and we'll talk again next weekend to Brady bring the latest out of the United Kingdom as he does. Here we go. Uh, this is a little tribute uh, to the great Steve Wright.